We take a closer look inside the ACC with Chip Patterson of CBSSports.com. And with the first playoff poll due out this week, does the ACC have more teams than any other conference for a spot in that Final Four? I think the SEC probably is going to, you know, depending on what happens in Jacksonville today, I think the SEC probably has the best chance to get two teams in the first Final Four. Important to remember, though, uh, the first Final Four has never uh, matched the Final Four from the Playoff Selection Committee. And, in fact, in 2014, both Ole Miss and Mississippi State were in the first four released by the Selection Committee. So I always give a word of warning uh, that a lot of football is left to play when we get that first set of rankings. But I think that what the ACC has uh, is not uh, the most amount of candidates for the first four uh, in terms of the first set of rankings. But I do think that if you look across all of college football, there is no conference that has more teams that are still alive as, as we get prepared for Saturday's kickoff with uh, NC State being a team that could make a run at the ACC championship and have an argument as one of the Power Five conference champions. That Clemson, a team that has been considered for most of the year one of the best in college football. Miami still riding its undefeated streak. And then, of course, Virginia Tech, a team whose only loss coming to Clemson uh, would have a good profile if they're able to run the table. So four teams right now in the ACC still have a path uh, that is realistic to be able to get to the college football playoffs. So I don't think the ACC will have the most representation in the first rankings released by the committee on Tuesday. But I do think that at this point in the season, they've got the most amount of teams that still have a realistic shot to make it to the Final Four. Boston College, Florida State last night. Another resounding win for the Eagles and another uh, tough one to take for the Seminoles this year. Maybe just write this year off for them. But uh, focusing on the positive, what has gotten into Boston College suddenly the last three games, 45, 41, and 35 points? Uh, Steve Adazio knew it. He told us after, let's see, about three or four weeks ago, he, coming out of a loss, he said, we're really close. And when it comes together, uh, it's going to be, his, his, quote, his word, it's going to be beautiful. And he was very emphatic. And, and he said he understood how close things were to clicking. And it's easy to understand why it's taken about half the season because you're dealing with a redshirt freshman quarterback in Anthony Brown. And he has improved tremendously, not only uh, with his passing, but also with his grasp of the offense and his ability to lead it. Fresh, true freshman running back A.J. Dillon, of course, has emerged after the first three or four games, really caught his stride and taken over that top running back position. And I think that what Steve Adazio saw, even back in the beginning of the season when he was really trying to get this Boston College offense up and moving, I think he saw that there was the potential for this to be a group that went on, of course, as we know now, to roll up more than 500 yards of offense against both Louisville and Virginia um, and the fact that it's being led by a freshman quarterback and a freshman running back means that not only is this uh, a great season and a great tremendous amount of growth for the Eagles, but that also uh, for the near future, things are looking pretty good. Taking a closer look inside the ACC with Chip Patterson of CBSSports.com. You can follow him on Twitter at Chip underscore Patterson and also check out his 24-7 sports college football podcast. Bradley Chubb and the NC State defensive line versus the Notre Dame offensive line. Who wins that battle today? The NFL draft, probably. <laughs> you know, I mean, seriously, like I can't imagine the amount of scouts that are going to be packed into uh, – 
the press box at Notre Dame Stadium today because the the one-on-one matchup that we're going to get in the trenches are going to be uh, as, as high caliber and as high quality a competition uh, as you might find in college football. I'm, I'm so excited to see this. I think that what Notre Dame – Notre Dame made – USC's defensive front looks soft. That's because that USC defensive front, because of injuries, uh, is very inexperienced. They showed up to a game against, you know, Quentin Nelson, Mike McGlinchey. Like, these are guys that could be in the NFL already. And so they got pushed around. Well, that is not going to happen against NC State. And so now NC State has a chance to really try and force Notre Dame to become uh, a, a downfield passing team, something that no opponents have really been able to do so far this season. And so I, I really am excited to see how it goes. So I'm, I'm giving the edge, honestly, uh, to NC State, but uh, it would not surprise me either if Notre Dame proves against a much tougher defensive line competition that this rushing attack is for real. If Notre Dame is able to push around NC State as well as it did against USC, then I think that says something more about Notre Dame. But right now, my hunch is that Bradley Chubb and the Wolfpack have a little bit of an edge right there. It sounds cliche, but we often use it, and it's obviously also very true. The turnover battle usually is a very telling stat. NC State doesn't turn the ball over, uh, and Notre Dame very good at forcing turnovers. Which trend continues today? Uh, I think that, if anything, we might see Ryan Finley's interception streak end, or at least NC State have some turnovers. Let's, there's, there's something weird, which includes uh, some weather that might impact that game. And remember, uh, it was the NC State-Notre Dame game in Raleigh just last year in Hurricane mm-hmm. Matthew with rain pouring down, a game that was decided not by an offensive touchdown, but by a blocked punt returned for a touchdown, 10-3 NC State win. That loss, I think, dropped Notre Dame to either 2-4 and four or 2-5. and five. But for the most part, when you were looking at their schedule, kind of sent them on a path towards missing the postseason and eventually what would be a 4-8 and eight record. So I do think there is a revenge factor in this game, and I'm very curious to see – yeah, if the weather does play an issue, which one of these teams can hold on to the ball in sloppy conditions? Because, like you said, I mean, in a in a game where the competition is so tight, it does feel like it's going to be decided at the margins. The other place I would look is special teams. NC State has no conference losses, but they did lose that opener to South Carolina, and they lost it, in my opinion, at the very beginning of the game, allowing South Carolina's Debo Samuel to return the opening kickoff for a touchdown. Uh, so special teams, I think, is equally important here. Um, you know, hold on to the ball. Don't have any botched field goal attempts, no blocked punts. You know, this is all going to be uh, where this one of the best games of the day certainly is going to be decided. Kelly Bryant and Clemson back in action after a week off. Bryant's been cleared to play, but there's also the issue of the sprained ankle. How do you expect this team to bounce back? I think it'll be a slow to start game. I think that this is one where. Um, if you're Clemson and you know that you've got that trip to NC State the next week, you're, you're going to play this game and you're really going to hope that the defensive line that you've got is going to be able to cause some issues for Georgia Tech because if Taquan Marshall gets that Georgia Tech offense rolling and they start putting points on the board and he hits a couple of explosive plays, it's going to force Clemson's hand. I think Clemson would love to play this uh, a little bit low scoring, not have to put too much stress on Kelly Bryant's ankle. Win with your defense, win with a couple big plays. 
because it's uh, it is going to be a tough two game stretch to go straight from Georgia Tech into NC State, and the Tigers already with that loss to Syracuse really cannot afford another conference loss, not just for the college football playoff, but just to even be able to make it to the ACC championship game, given the way that NC State is playing. So I, I'd like to think that, like the game last year, which I think was 23-7 to or 26-7, to it wasn't one of Deshaun Watson's best games. Clemson's offense didn't light up the scoreboard, but that defense really carried the way. They did a great job of getting penetration and shutting down Georgia Tech's offense. I think that they want to take that 2016 game plan to try and get out with a win in 2017. We take a closer look inside the Pac-12 with Chip Patterson of CBSSports.com, and you can follow him on Twitter at Chip underscore Patterson. Boy, it didn't take long for USC to become a dumpster fire. Clay Helton put it on, uh, pulled it out when they were 1-3 last year. Can he and will be able to do it again in the, in the future? This is this is a tough uh, this is a tough little turn right here because if USC loses to Arizona State, they suddenly have lost control of the Pac-12 South. Um, I I think ultimately Sam Darnold, Ronald Jones, Deontay Burnett. I think that maybe not Clay Helton will be pulling this out, but I just think that USC's talent will be able to pull this out, and we'll see the Trojans figure out a way to win the South and make it to the Pac-12 championship game. I don't know if they'll be how much of a playoff threat they'll be with you know, what we can already know is a, a record that is probably going to keep them out of the conversation, but I, I can't believe that a team that is, has this much uh, talent on it, a team that we looked at and considered once a national championship contender, even with the injuries, I can't help but think that they're going to figure out a way to rally and get the wins they need in conference play. That doesn't mean that uh, everything will be fine or everything will be perfect. It is a disappointing season for sure. It's a disappointing season for the team. It's a disappointing season for Sam Darnold, uh, a quarterback who, you know, all of a sudden is not going to be uh, the surefire number one 2018 draft pick. In fact, some reports circulating that he might even be back for another season with USC. So I'm, I'm curious to see what the end of this season plays out, but my hunch says that they will be able to finish as the champions of the Pac-12 South in the Pac-12 championship game just based on the talent they've got on that roster. Between Ronald Jones and Sam Darnold, there's obviously some, some real tough-like talent there, but they've had injuries all year, the secondary has been shaky, and they really haven't replaced some some top-flight NFL talent that graduated from a year ago. Were, were the Trojans a little overrated, perhaps, because of because of Darnold and, and Jones and their name going into the season? I wouldn't say so, because if, you, if this is still going to be a team that can win the Pac-12 championship, then, you know, that's, that's kind of where we had them. It's part of projecting USC to, as, to be in the playoff and to be a national championship contender was the idea that they would be able to separate themselves from the rest of their competition. The fact that they weren't going to have to play Washington until the Pac-12 championship game. You know, these factors are all still there. It's just, uh, it's just a matter of what's happening on the fringes. And, you know, what's happening on the fringes is you go into Pullman on a Friday night, any team in the country is at risk to take a loss. And USC uh, is, was revealed to be just that, you know, USC, 
has tons and tons of injury issues, and suddenly you're not going to be able to be competitive against the Notre Dame team that's trying to make its own playoff push. So I think that they weren't overrated. I think that the injuries are going to be the difference between, you know, those two losses that probably could have changed their outcome at the end of the season. And this is still a 10-win team, even as banged up as they are, as poor as the performances have been. And so because of that, I think they were rightly rated. They've caught some bad injury luck. And I feel like we talk about it every week, but still worth mentioning, not having a bye until November 25th, playing 12 games in a row against a rigorous schedule. is something that is going to end up being the pinpoint for a lot of USC fans in ways that this season could have broken differently. Because while some of the injuries are more major than others, Uh, You've got ankles, the concussion protocol. There's a lot of minor injuries where I think they could have been helped by just having one week off at some point in that season. No question. All snowballed. How strong is the forecast for another Sun Devils takedown tonight of another big program? I love the way that Arizona State has been playing defense, and they've been applying lots of different strategies. We've known Todd Graham uh, as a former defensive coordinator. We've known him to be – uh, risky, aggressive, loves to send a lot of pressure, loves to blitz. But then, uh, you know, all of a sudden against Washington, you know, we're just going to we're gonna drop everybody back. And you just have all these different schemes and wrinkles. It seems like they're really got, uh, they've really got something cooking right now. And so I'm curious to see how they show up. Yes, absolutely. There is a great chance that Arizona State is able to keep this thing rolling after great wins against Washington and Utah. I think that it's also uh, there's also a chance that USC is the you know scared animal that's been backed into a corner, and uh, in Arizona State, if it needs to all of a sudden start keeping up with USC, I don't know if Manny Wilkins is the player to do it. Talking with Chip Patterson of CBSSports.com. You can check out his podcast, the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast, and also follow him on Twitter at Chip underscore Patterson. Washington finally gets a day game and hosting UCLA. The Huskies coming off their first loss of the season, still with an outside shot but need a lot of things to, to go right to get into the playoff. What can we expect from them today coming off that first loss of the season? This will be a great test for their secondary. Washington's secondary is a little bit thin and a little bit inexperienced right now, particularly compared to uh, the just stacked amounts. You know, you think about Sidney Jones, you think about just the NFL talent that has been in the defensive backfield for Washington over the last three, four seasons, and they're going to be tested by Josh Rosen. UCLA is not a great football team right now, but Josh Rosen is still a tremendous talent. I think Washington gets back on the right foot. They come out of the bye week. Uh, with a strong home win in that national spotlight, as you just mentioned. But I, I do believe that this will be uh, an interest. That'll be the game within the game because Washington wins this game probably by about two touchdowns. But how uh, that group plays against Josh Rosen is going to be something that we're going to be looking at. And it's going to be something that on tape is going to be very important if Washington is able to keep it rolling and make it to that Pac-12 championship game. Is Khalil Tate this year Sam Darnold? Oh, no, not at all. But, <laughs> but he certainly is. Uh, he certainly is a great story. And he's, he is someone who, uh, who has taken, taken college football by storm. I'm, I, I love Khalil Tate. And I think that if they're able to keep this going and, and, and Rich Rod's able to ride this heater into backing into a, a Pac-12 South title or at least Pac-12 South title contention, then it's a great story about that program. And Khalil Tate certainly been an awesome find. But 
I, I don't think that we're going to be having New York Jets fans uh, personalizing <laughs> Khalil Tate jerseys by the end of the season. No, I don't think so either. Uh, you know, Utah has uh, been a good team uh, throughout its tenure in the Pac-12 and got off to a fast start this year, but has now dropped three in a row. What's happened to the Utes? They've just gotten uh, they've gotten outgamed. I, I don't. I think that this was uh, this year's Utah team. We we because you mentioned the consistency of this Utah program. And I think we just want to copy and paste certain traits, even though the personnel changes over. Uh, you know, Tyler Huntley was in there. Now uh, Troy Williams had to step in. Troy Williams had a great performance in his game against USC, uh, where they ended up losing on the failed two-point conversion. But I, I think that in general, um, they don't exactly have the, uh, the the personnel to be able to get it done on offense. I mean, that was that was really the issue against Arizona state is that they, they, they couldn't get anything going. And to have that happen uh, all of a sudden means that this is a limited Utah team and a limited Utah team, you know, is like all Utah teams competitive and probably playing in a bowl game, but the really great ones need uh, a Kalen clay, a Devonte Booker, um, a Drez Anderson. You, you need someone who's going to be able to be, that one go-to playmaker. And, you know, if there were hopes that that was going to be Darren Carrington and Tyler Huntley at the beginning of the season. But I think that here we are at the end of October. Uh, it is a good Utah team that is limited on offense and probably going to end up playing uh, in, the, like, in the Emerald Nuts Bowl or something like that. <laughs> Darren Carrington against his former team. How's that homecoming going to play out? Uh, I don't think very well. I, I think that it's a it's an interesting game for Oregon, you know, just in particular. I haven't been able to figure that Oregon team out. Utah sometimes is a good way. Like Utah is a is a good litmus test because of what they are. You can you can find out a whole lot about a, other teams. And so as as you know, Oregon continues to try to pound those running backs and ride them to as much success as they're going to get in a year where they've already been impacted by injuries. Uh, I, I think that that'll be that'll be one of the fun matchups to watch in that game. We take a closer look inside the SEC with Chip Patterson of CBSSports.com, and you can follow him on Twitter, Chip underscore Patterson. You know, despite losing seven starters to the NFL draft, is it possible that this year's Alabama defense is better? No, I don't think so. Okay. I think that the competition they face is worse. <laughs> uh, I think that the yeah, I, I think that this run for for Alabama uh, in terms of the opposing offenses they face, it's it is about as friendly uh, as you're going to get. Now, things are going to turn around, certainly, as, uh, as you move forward. But I, there hasn't been, you know, even Texas A&M, you know, that's, that's a, a different Texas A&M team than we've seen under Kevin Sumlin. You know, they're averaging about 20 less snaps per game. Uh, they're running the ball. They're trying to play good defense. They're trying to shorten the game. Uh, I, I think that this Alabama defense has done a good job of maintaining the edge, maintaining that hunger, you know, maintaining the thing that makes uh, Alabama great, that every single play, the, it seems like the players hope it's going to be a, a fumble or a turnover interception, and every time that there's a turnover, they want to take it the other way for a touchdown. That hunger and that edge is still there, but I, I don't think that this Alabama defense is as strong as last year's Alabama defense to this point. I think that the statistics and the performances are probably uh, more to do with the struggling offenses that they faced along the way. It's been a bizarre week in Gainesville before the Gators take on uh, Georgia today. What was your take on, on Jim McElwain's comments? Uh, you know, it, it was just just very odd to see him, see him come out with that, and then the university not really back him up. Yeah, I my my big take on that was that 
Jim McElwain by not providing any evidence of these threats and not at least getting the authorities of the university involved. And by being so vague, only made matters worse. You know, he he pulled out the reference to threats to, uh, you know, him, members of his family, member of the program. He almost seemed to pull it out uh, as some off-handed Exhibit C in the courtroom, you know, like a slide he was just trying to fly by. And I, I think that he didn't realize what a big deal it was going to be. And then to all of a sudden retreat into yeah, well, that's just the business we're in. You got to keep your head down and not let it get to you. It's really disturbing, um, you know, because if you want sympathy, then the threats need to be taken seriously. And then for him to be dismissive just a few days later only made the situation worse. You mentioned the university statement, which indicated that McElwain chose not to offer any ad additional details. This looks to me like a relationship uh, that is on the rocks. And I don't know how this ends, and it is shocking when you think about on paper uh, a coach comes in, leads two straight SEC East title seasons, and yet things are still shaky. But uh, coming into the season, uh, an, an insider from 24-7 Sports was uh, on our podcast, and he mentioned you know, how this season goes is going to really impact the relationship between Florida's fans and Jim McElwain. And even before the season started, uh, it was mentioned that if things didn't go well, things could all of a sudden become toxic, where the, where the Florida fans would turn a little bit. And I don't think that that is the case yet, but the, the flip-flopping and the, the mini firestorm, which is really insignificant to what's going on inside the Gators locker room or on the field against Georgia. I mean, this is a, a Jim McElwain-created, media firestorm and all it does is it makes things look worse for both the university jim McElwain, and the future of the gators football program with him at the helm georgia has had a lot of disappointments in jacksonville against florida in recent years will this year finally be different against an inconsistent at best florida team i think so and i think that those three straight florida wins are, have got to be what keeps georgia focused when everything on tape says that they're just going to pummel them you know, I, I think that there's, because of the rivalry aspects of this game, you know, it could end up being something that's close. But I, I don't see any way that Georgia uh, allows Florida to out-execute them in the crucial moments of this game, given the advantages they've had, how more consistent they've been, and uh, the fact that Florida's won the last three in this battle. I, I expect the Bulldogs to roll. Talking with Chip Patterson of CBSSports.com, and you can follow him on Twitter at Chip underscore Patterson. Also, check out his podcast, the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. You know, last year, about the only thing noteworthy about Mississippi State was Nicky Fitzgerald. This year, the Bulldogs' defense has been a little different. How much of a difference has Tom Grantham met? Oh, Grantham's been huge, and he's done a good job of being able to get that group to play up he, and being able to buy into his system of exotic blitzes. Uh, Mississippi State, Nate, look, that Mississippi State-Texas A&M game is probably the SEC West game of the week this week. Now, there aren't many, LSU and Alabama, of course, both being off, uh, looking ahead to their meeting on November 4th. But I, I, I look at that game uh, as Mississippi State or Texas A&M's chance to really prove that they are in that top half of the division. Uh, I'm, I'm fascinated to see how it goes because coming into the season, Mississippi State's over-under win total in Las Vegas was five and a half. And if they win this game, they're already bowl eligible with six wins. So I, it, it has been uh, Todd Grantham. It has been the continued evolution 
of Nick Fitzgerald. It's been Aris Williams being able to provide a great ground threat at running back. I'm I'm very very interested to watch that game in particular. As if it can't get any worse at Tennessee, John Kelly, one of two, suspended for marijuana possession at a track stop, uh, traffic stop. Uh, you know, it, it's one of those things that that, that it, it just hurts to watch what's happening to this program. Yeah, and what if they lose to Kentucky too? You know, <laughs> I mean, this is like in terms of the psychology of a Tennessee fan, then losing to Kentucky or even you know what. Maybe even just being a five-point underdog to Kentucky. Maybe the pain all this week of watching it will be worse than actually having it play out. I, I, I look at Tennessee, and uh, that's, a, that's a foregone conclusion that some changes are going to be made. I believe Butch Jones finishes the rest of the season. But, uh, you know, this is – look, credit to Tennessee's defense. Um, they've been playing hard. You know, I, I looked at a Tennessee defense against Alabama that was really getting out there. And, like, even the good plays seem to get hurt by mental mistakes or penalties. But uh, that, that group is still playing with some life and some fierceness to them. And so I, I will credit those players. But, you know, from here on out, it, it's just going to be about pride, I think. Last year – Texas A&M loses both Miles Garrett and Deshaun Hall. This year, per SI.com, Texas A&M is averaging a sack per game more. How is that happening despite the loss of those two great players? Well, they still have Dalen Mack. They still have really good players along that defensive line. And I think that there's uh, there's also something to the fact that the, the defense hasn't been on the field as much. You know, through seven games last year, Texas A&M was averaging more than 80 snaps defense was averaging more than 80 snaps per game on the field now that defense is down to like 62 when you consider that it's like they get almost you know 25 percent of a ball game more rest and so I think that changing and Kevin Sumlin being willing to evolve the way that the offense plays into the defense you know being able to make sure that uh, your offense can put together long drives to let to let your defense rest uh, I think that the that all together has allowed for John Chavis's group because remember the defensive coordinator is still one of the best in the SEC history. Uh, it's allowed John Chavis's group to really thrive and become a strong unit this year.